The reading for today can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 1 to 25. The people rebel. That night, all of the people of the, com of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephiah, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. <clears throat> if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people test me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power... You brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of, of this land about it. They, or, they have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire, fire by night. If you put these people to death at all, all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In, in, accordance with your great, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of these men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I have performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, 
not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I start, I just want to mention a couple of things. Tonight we have our monthly prayer event, which is one, and that's at seven o'clock tonight. Uh, it's a, a prayer event which is for an hour, so just seven till eight, and it gives us the opportunity to pray and to bring before God those things that we're carrying on our hearts. And also to say that we have Messy Church on Wednesday as well. Messy Church is fantastic. It's such a, a wonderful thing. If you've not experienced it and you're around on Wednesday from 3.45, then do come along. Uh, we'd love to see you there. And if you can help at all or would like to be involved and help, then, then that's also very welcome. You can greet and say hello to people on the door or you can help serve tea and coffee. You, you can help in the kitchen. You can run an activity. You can help in so many ways. So if you'd like to help, then do have a word with me um, after the service. Let's pray. Lord, grant us the grace to desire you and in desiring to seek your face and that in seeking that we will find you and love you with our whole heart. And as we seek you, help us to be mindful of the fact that you are seeking us so much more. Amen. Well, here I am. I've returned from sabbatical and what a great sabbatical it's been. I'd like to thank everybody who made that possible, especially uh, the wardens and the staff team. And thanks to, to everybody who prayed for us. Kate and I and the children had some great times together. It was a really good opportunity to spend uh, some time together. We had picnics and watched films and went for walks and had a trip to London, time to catch up with extended family, which uh, we don't often get the time to do. And we had a lovely holiday too in Italy at Lake Garda and whilst there we visited Venice and wished we'd taken a peg for our noses and Verona and uh, we watched the opera in Verona, Romeo and Juliet of course, and it was like an oven. It was so hot, it was very different to here. And then we spent five wonderful days in Rome and that's, uh, is there a picture of us? Dave, is it working? Maybe we had a bit of, tr oh there, no. That could have been us as a family. It could have been anybody, couldn't it, really? Oh, no, it is. Look, there we are. That's us in Rome. And we just, uh, we were looking at a view over Rome, and we'd just been to one of my favorite places in Rome, which is the Knights of Malta Keyhole, that I've shown you before, where you can look through and through this beautiful garden, and at the end of the garden is the basilica right in the middle of this archway, which is a fantastic thing. And during the sabbatical, too, I've read uh, books. Yes, I really have. And recorded a song, even, which... You might get to hear sometime uh, and never get time to record songs. So that was a fantastic opportunity mm -hmm. to do that. And in the US as well, I had a great time there and met some uh, amazing people and visited some really quite extraordinary churches which are 
committed to being missional communities. They are places of uh, relationship and they're nurturing disciples and they're offering genuine hospitality and they're including everybody and anybody and they really are serving their local place where God has put them. And I made some great new friendships too. Some really inspirational church leaders who I met and they, each of them was grappling with change in their own way. They were following the Holy Spirit's leading into uncharted territory, new ways of being church, but it was costly and it was painful and some of them were just burnt out or some of them were, were really quite struggling for all sorts of practical reasons, but each of them was committed to following God's path that he'd set them on. Well, thanks to our passage from the book of Numbers that Chris read for us just a few minutes ago, we're looking at the topic of dealing with change today, and it's a very important topic. This reminds me of some of those great light bulb jokes. I had to dig them out from years ago. I'm going to share a few with you. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Can you remember that one? Yeah? Well, it's ten. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. It's better than that. That is so bad. Well, Ben laughed anyway. That was good. Thank you, Ben. I'll buy you coffee this week then. Anyway. How many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? No, that's Baptist. Yes, <laughs> None. The general synod believes that all bulbs should be free to choose their own level. <laughs> How many Pentecostals does it ta- take to change a light bulb? At least 201. Only one to change the bulb why, while the 200 others link hands across the church and shout amen to that brother and sister or sister. <laughs> How many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to remove the old bulb and one to say, just send $10 and this beautiful glass ornament can be yours. (laughs) And what sort of church is the quickest at changing light bulbs? Well, it's a charismatic church, isn't it? Because our hands are already in the air. (laughs) Thank you, Ben, for enjoying those jokes. Anyway, change is an inescapable part of life, isn't it? Bruce Barton once said this, that when you're through changing, you're through. Or when you're done changing, you're done. The rapid pace of change is a feature of modern life, isn't it? Get a new mobile phone or TV out of its box or drive a new car off the forecourt and almost immediately it's out of date. There's a new model come out. Culture is constantly changing. So too is family life. And let's not, go, let's not, let's not get started on change in the workplace. Change, of course, isn't all bad. I'm sure you can list uh, great changes that have taken place in your own life. Positive change, change that brought you joy. But I bet, too, that each one of us could list many examples of difficult change, negative change, change that was hard to bear because change can be a challenge, can't it? Dealing with change can be hard. It can be an uphill struggle. And so I wonder, how are you struggling with the process or the prospect of change at the moment? Maybe you're going back to school or college. Maybe you're starting a new school with teachers and new subjects. Perhaps you're contemplating university. Maybe you're beginning a new job 
or role or training. Perhaps you're struggling with the process of growing older. Maybe illness has brought with it unwelcome change. Or perhaps your family is dealing with changes in some way. And what about as a disciple of Jesus? What painful or challenging changes is Jesus wanting to lead you through in your choices, in your behavior, your attitudes, your addictions, your dependencies? What would Jesus like you to be and do for him? That can be a lot to deal with, can't it? And how about in relation to our own church fellowship here? How are you dealing with the changes the Holy Spirit has been leading us into over the past years? And I wonder what about situations where we're troubled by the change that's impacting others in the world? You know, there's as many refugees in the world at the moment as there are people living in the UK. That's staggering, I think. And they're all facing awful change. As I say, dealing with change can be a challenge. And I think this is highlighted brilliantly in the account of Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel that we heard of today. I love this cartoon (coughs) because, because it sort of honestly plots what the people of God must have been thinking as they left Egypt and went into the desert. You know, where are we heading, God? You know, are, are we actually going somewhere? Or, you know, is Egypt better? And, and where are you in it all? And so I'd like to pick up a number of striking points from the story to help us to face the challenge of change. And also to help us to see what part God plays in it all. So if you'd like to have your Bible open, that's, that'll be helpful if you, if you want to do that. And I'll draw attention to some of the verses as we go along. Firstly then, we're going to look at verse 1. The writer tells us that all the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. The people were unhappy with the change they were going through, with what they were experiencing. And they'd lost sight of a simple truth that applies to any adventure with God, to anybody following God's path through life. Just because change is difficult doesn't mean that change is wrong. Of course, it might be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And it doesn't mean that God is not in that change working for good. The journey from Egypt to the promised land involved a journey via the desert. And more than this, it involved the prospect of then capturing that land so that they could take possession of it. And we see from this account, God's ultimate plan for his people was for them to reach, and is for them to reach, a better, more promising destination. But the journey getting us there can be incredibly hard. I wonder what difference this makes to you today or to those you're praying for and wanting to help. Why do you want to weep aloud or raise your voice today? Can you trust that through this change, God can lead you and others to a better place? Secondly then, note in verse 2 that the Israelites grumbled and they leveled their complaints against their leaders. 
what strikes me here is that just because we moan about change, and we all do, doesn't mean that change has been handled badly or that change shouldn't have occurred. As a leader, I know what it is to have people point the finger or place the responsibility at my feet, and I know many of you know what that feels like as a leader or a manager or someone who carries responsibility. It's not easy. And so my heart, as I read this account from Numbers, goes out to Moses and Aaron. They were in an impossible situation, knowing where God was leading, but then trying to take with them a grumbling, reluctant people. You should have taken us a different way, they tell him. I wonder if you've ever said that to your boss or line manager or your mum or dad or your husband or wife or your friend or vicar. In any organization or family, there is resistance to change. Traditionally, of course, not just our church, but every church can be reluctant to change. And I think many in church have the idea that objections to change mean that the change shouldn't have happened or that there's some magic formula to change that can be found that means that no one will object to it. And so, of course, grumbling can be heard. In what ways are you and I grumblers like the people of Israel? And would you prefer to be a Moses or an Aaron? I know I would. Who also struggled with the difficult journey They were on the same journey as everybody else, but they were determined to press on with God. But what we see recorded here in the book of Numbers, it's more than grumbling from the people. This is more like a total rejection of God's redemption plan. The mission spies that were sent out into Canaan, they bring back reports of the promised land. And the people have come so far. They're literally on the brink. And they've come from cruel slavery in Egypt to the borders of this land. And the reports say flowing, flowing with milk and honey. They're within sight, touching distance almost, of their goal. And they want to give it all up. The people say, let's choose a leader to take us back to Egypt. You can see that in verse 4. They wanted the better short-term option instead of the long-term land of promise. They wanted slavery over passing through a place of hardship to reach a better place with God. So often it can seem like the best option to give up, to go back to where we've come from, to the familiar, to the comfortable. Even if we're in sight of this new destination, even if we're in touching distance almost, And we can do this personally. I know I do. Please don't say I'm the only one. Because we can return to old habits, can't we? We can do it at work. And we can return to old practices or procedures. And we can do it as church. And we can lean on our old ideas that no longer work. So will you and I look to return to familiar, comfortable territory in our discipleship, in our daily life, or in our church life? Or are we determined to press on to the goals that God has for us? Thirdly then, we read in verse 5 that Moses and Aaron fell face down. 
And they gave their people a potential vision of what could be. Moses and Aaron aren't pleading for their lives at this moment. They're falling face down in awe and wonder before God because of this mind-blowing blasphemy of the people. Moses and Aaron, they sense a, a God moment coming on, the glory of the Lord, if you like. And so they pick up on the presence of God and they fall to the ground. And they do so because of the fear of what God might come and do. It seems clear then that to pull back from God's plan for us is offensive to him. He wants the best for us and he promises to lead us there through the difficulty and through the pain and struggle. So I wonder in what ways have you and I rejected God's best for us individually or for us as a church or as a nation and what is our part in that? And will we be falling face down like Moses and Aaron in awe and wonder before the Lord? A fourth aspect then of this narrative can be seen in verse 9 when Joshua and Caleb step forward to plead with the people to trust in the Lord. And they say these words, don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. These two great men set a fantastic example. I, think, I love my name, Tim, but if I was to choose another name, I think I'd go for Caleb. I, I love that example of, of what they're like. I'd love to live up to a name like that too. In doing this, Joshua and Caleb, they stand by their leaders, but also they stand by their people. Actively standing by those who are struggling through change is so important to encourage someone to keep on trusting God is so important too. I wonder who had stood by you in key moments of your life. Of course, as Christians, we don't simply do this for one another as a church, although that is very important. We can also offer this to our friends. We can offer it to our family and our neighbors and our work colleagues. But we must also stand by those grappling with change in other parts of the world. At the moment, there are hundreds of thousands of immigrants across Europe who need us to stand by them as they struggle with their epic journey. They need much encouragement to know that the Lord is with them. We've seen the moving pictures this week, haven't we, of desperation and loss. As Christians and as the church, God has charged us, he's given us the responsibility to provide food and water and shelter and clothing for those stumbling through the wilderness. And more than this, as Christians and as churches, we have the responsibility to provide somewhere for them to lay their heads at the end of the journey, to provide a home. Will you and I be standing by people in the coming days and in the coming weeks and who will that be who has God given you or who is he giving you to stand by fifthly then note God's frustration you can see this in verse 11 and he says to Moses they refuse to believe in me the people refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous things I've performed among them 
God's anger is stirred. He wants his beloved people to believe in him, to trust in him, to trust in that relationship that he's built with them. God simply asks his people to accept what he says, to trust in his promises, and to obey his commands. Through the ever-changing landscape of your life, this world, our church, how will each of us believe in God? Will we trust in the relationship he's built with us over time? Will we accept what he says? Will we cling to his promises and obey his commands? If that was a sixth, sorry, a, a fifth point, then the sixth is this. In verse 18, you can see this. Moses reminds God, quite bravely, of his forgiving nature. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. Because the people had stopped believing in God, God proposes to obliterate Israel, the people, and to start afresh with Moses and his descendants. And Moses boldly asks for forgiveness so that the greatness of the Lord could be made known, so that the promises of God just wouldn't fall and come to nothing, but they would be made a reality. God's forgiving nature makes a difference to every recipient. Just as Moses did, we can each lean on the amazing love of God. So will we do that today? Lean on the amazing love of God. And every day, no matter what challenges and changing circumstances we face. But having said this, benefiting from God's love may not remove the consequences of our rebellious choices as our seventh and final point highlights. God says these interesting words. I have forgiven them. You can read this in verse 20 and 21. And then he goes on to say, nevertheless. When I was in uh, the US and I was flying from Pittsburgh to um, Washington, I had to leave really early in the morning. I think my flight was about uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. And I hadn't had a very good night's sleep because the humidity in Pittsburgh was terrible. Uh, I just couldn't sleep. And so I was at the airport and I was feeling quite tired. And this is my excuse anyway. And I was going through security and I, uh, I saw the guy who was operating the, um, the x-ray machine with my rucksack in it spot this huge bottle of water I'd left in there. And, um, and I thought, oh no, I've left the water in there. Anyway, he had a word with a guard and then the, this guard had a, a word with this other guard who obviously had been hiding around the corner or something. And he was, he was about seven foot 19. And uh, <laughs> he, came, he came out and I sort of looked up and he said, will you step over here, sir? And I, I apologized as only an Englishman can. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. I really, I'm like, what can I say? And uh, he said, it's okay. It's okay. We just need to run a few checks. So they checked the water and, they, and they, they checked me. And I'd like to say bars came down over the doors and things like that, but nothing so dramatic. And um, anyway, so they, it took about 10 minutes, that's all. And um, eventually I was given my clothes back and, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, and it finished. And uh, he said, it's totally okay. And I said, I'm really sorry about that. He said, it's fine. And it was fine. But I'd left a bottle of water in my bag and I had to deal with the consequences, didn't I? I had to go through um, all those uh, procedures just to make sure uh, that everything was okay. Here in the account of God's people, what we see is forgiveness, yes, but we also see consequences. 
The people will reach the promised land, but not those who resisted and refused to trust God. Those whose stubborn hearts prevented them from trusting in God and his appointed leaders and whose pride prevented them from following God's ways, well, they're going to miss out. And so the next day, right at the end of our passage today, in verse 25, we read that they are to head out into the desert towards the Red Sea. They're going backwards, back where they've come. And so the punishment is made to fit the crime. They wanted to die in the wilderness and return to Egypt. God grants their request. The long-term goal of entering the promised land of Canaan was postponed. It was put on hold to let the generation of rebellion die just where they wanted to. There's a well-known phrase, isn't there? Be careful what you wish for. Well, Israel learned that for sure. They got exactly what they wished for. And their children, who they said would die in Canaan, actually went on to take possession of it. So to finish, the journey through change can be a hard one. But as those who walk with God in today's world, we can learn from the people of Israel. Whilst on sabbatical, God has been showing me afresh what it is to trust him. In prayer one day in the morning in Italy, I felt God speak a prophecy uh, over me. It's the last verse from Psalm 31, and I've read it so many times. But on that particular occasion, it came alive in me, and it's been alive in me ever since. The journey through change can be challenging, but God is with us. He's promising us a better destination that he's prepared for us, for all those who struggle on a journey of change. So be encouraged, everybody, to trust him no matter what you're facing and to stand by others too to help them to trust him too. And may the words of Psalm 31 become a living prophecy in you and in the life of Christ Church Baston Hill. It's my prayer. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen.